0: Kate Winslet when she's getting painted naked in Titanic. I'm kind of in that position, obviously not naked. It, but, you, you've um,
1: gone chaise lounge. Yeah,
0: I have. Yeah. Wow. Well, I've, I've gone for comfort.
1: If it, if it's working for you and if you can maintain that position, that's that's just golden.
0: We mm. can work with that. Yes, I might have a yeah. I might have a broken hip by the end of it. <laughs> um. Oh, he's cracking the beer open. I I need it. I got a Dear. phone call at God. two o'clock
1: today saying that Emma 's car had broken. <gasps> no it had broken down on the A6 oh shit. Um, shit the back left wheel had just seized, so we finally we got it over to the side of the road um, Bald spotted the tire because it wasn't the three tires were rolling, one wasn't mm. um, and it was just an entire afternoon of trying to find a way of getting it to a garage. Oh
0: cars every time they go wrong all i think is like pound signs it's just so expensive
1: well luckily a lovely eastern european chap called chris uh we finally made it to his um car fixy place garage garage that's the word i'm looking for and uh yeah he was he was quite succinct he had a look at it tried to turn the wheel and said he's fucked uh, uh, and then he went in and he just started writing stuff down. I'm like, um, yeah, okay, how much is it going to cost you? a uh, 120. I'm like, well, actually, to be fair, that's not, I
0: mean, that's not horrendous. Yeah. That's, that was I mean, our it's thought still, as well. It's, like, it's still more than you want to pay. Uh, but, yeah, fair. Mm,
1: yeah,
0: fine. So is it fixed now or getting fixed?
1: It, it will be fixed at some point in the near future. Probably. (laughs) Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... So, this this story takes place in the late Georgian era. Yes. The little village of Polstead in Sussex, south-east England... I don't know why I'm telling you that Sussex is in south-east England. I assume you know that.
0: Mm, yes, we know all the all the Essexes. This, 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 this.
1: If it ends in X, you're, you know about it. Yeah. Um, but you may not have heard of the little village of Polstead because today it's home to just shy of about 900 people.
0: Do you know what I actually think I've been there.
1: <laughs> wow, fair enough. Well, it claimed to be the home of the oldest tree in England in 1903. With an oak so old that Saint Sed, there was a saint called Sed, uh, he stopped to preach under it when reconverting some Anglo Saxons in the six fifties. However, this claim was oh, wow, demonstrably. Wow, legend. F- Apparently, it was it was a common thing for certain trees to be used as a place to preach in the open air, so it was called the Gospel Tree. But the claim that I it suppose was, it's
0: a rec- recognisable place, though, isn't it? It's like a meeting point today, like meet well, under the tree.
1: Unfortunately, not today, because even though at the time they claimed it, it definitely wasn't the oldest tree. Uh, uh, it became moot 50 years later when the oak tree fell down in November 1953. So oh, the 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 oak tree isn't there anymore. To what- be
0: fair, that lasted quite a long time.
1: Oh, yeah. And they do, they do have a second oak tree that they're growing to replace it. Amazing. So I'm sure at some point the good people of Polstead will just smudge the records and claim that it never fell down.
0: <laughs> this is still, this is the, still the same, same tree.
1: This tree's this been going 3,000 years and it's Fun. still going strong. Yeah. Currently, though, they, they've changed claims and they're claiming to be the home of the oldest bricks in England, used in the construction of the 12th century St Mary's Church. Though, again, this, this claim hasn't been uh, independently verified. So I, I can't say for certain that they are the proud owners of... The I think they're in just
0: having us on, to be honest. Oldest this, oldest that. It's like when you go to uh, a country house and they always say, it doesn't matter where in the country you are, yeah, this is the uh, the oldest uh, heating system in the country, or this is the <laughs> oldest lighting system in the country, or the first working toilet in the country. Lies. Yeah. All of them. Liars.
1: Well, all of them but one.
0: Yeah, but in each who... Case. Who's the one that's not?
1: Uh-huh. Well, I, do you know what? I'm, I'm just happy that they've got the patter down. I like a good tour. And if, if they've got to sprinkle some lies in there to make the tour mm. flow, I'm, I'm okay with that.
0: Mm. I'm just looking at the map now <coughs> so I can see a, um, a picture of St Mary's Church. looks very Ooh. nice. Uh, right near the Cock Inn pub.
1: Well, do you know what? You've, you've ruined one of my jokes. Because the Cock Inn is, is part of this story. Oh, yes. We are going to mention the Cock Inn, because, come on, they must have known.
0: I mean, who doesn't love a Cock Inn?
1: Well, the Cock Inn was definitely there in the early in the uh, late Georgian period we're talking about. So it's it's been there a while. They couldn't claim mm. that it's the oldest cock-themed pub in the country. But <laughs> they
0: probably would. It's,
1: it's there, and it's definitely a thing. One thing that is true, though, out of this tissue of lies that the good people of um, Polstead have been weaving is that Mm. they do have a variety of cherry named after them.
0: The Polstead
1: Black Cherry. Because uh, they used to have quite a big cherry orchard on the edge of town. And other than this, uh, the village is a sleepy little place where nothing has happened much over the centuries. Well, I say that. that There was one one thing that happened. And, you know, I've, I've been doing this for over a year now and I'm running out of stories, so... We'll, we'll see if you think this is worthwhile even, even speaking about. So, on the 24th of July, 1801, the village mole catcher, Thomas Martin, was celebrating the birth of his first child with his wife, Grace, a little girl they decided to call Maria. The management of moles was an important job in the little village of Polstead, considering how key the local orchards were to the economy. So... Mole catcher, There was it, it was one of the few places in the country where mole catcher was probably quite a prestige position.
0: So this is basically to stop the crops being ruined by said...
1: By said moles. small, yeah, small furry mammals. Because although the moles don't eat the fruit, so they're not pests in that sense...
0: Push out the roots.
1: The, yeah, their burrowing disrupts the root systems, um, mm. which reduces the growth of the trees and the amount of fruit they produce. Yeah. That being said... Thomas Martin, even though his work was undoubtedly having a great boon to the local community, uh, he was still relatively poor because the profits were kept for the wealthy landowners that the orchard stood on. You're not going to pay the guy who's actually maximising your profits. However, despite the fact that he was poor, he was poorly educated, he wanted better for his daughter, for his little Maria, and he wanted to give her an opportunity to improve her station in life. So... He made sure that she was taught to read and write, which was very unusual for a girl at the time, let alone say, a poor country yeah. girl.
0: In the Georgian era especially, sort of women were kind of well women have not had a very good um run in in our society, have they? But um yeah, in, very in unusual. All
1: of recorded history. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're still we're still counting that to this day unfortunately.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: But it turned out to be quite fortuitous that Thomas Martin uh, had his daughter educated because uh, his wife died in 1810 when uh, Maria was only nine and she oh. was expected to take on the role of running the household and looking after her younger sister. At because, nine? Yeah, well, who else was there to do it? Thomas I was out catching so. moles all night. Well, they only
0: lived to 30, didn't they? So that's like... <laughs> yeah. She's,
1: she's a third of the way through her life.
0: Yeah.
1: Maria was reported to have a near-photographic memory and continued educating herself in spite of the responsibilities that had been thrust upon her. She also reportedly grew to be something of a local beauty.
0: Mm. And by the
1: time she was 17, she was turning the heads of all the men in the village, both lower uh, and upper class alike.
0: Exciting. Oh, so she's, love
1: it. she's a, a well-educated, innocent, um, you know, poor maiden of the village.
0: But she's like a cover girl.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. She's, she's mm. also very pretty. 17-year-old Maria, she, she realised the fact that this could be her ticket out, that this could be the thing that, that allowed her to improve her standing, and she thought she'd hit gold when the son of a local farmer, Thomas Corder, took to calling on her. It's likely that Maria hoped that she could secure a marriage proposal from Thomas. After all, he was only slightly above her in terms of social standing. You know, he wasn't a member of the nobility his family had got rich off the farm they owned, so they were but she was middle still class, maybe up
0: potentially. Oh, yeah,
1: this is like she's she's not been too greedy. She's like one rung up the ladder. I can live in a house with an actual floor. That Yay. would be nice
0: with with the first bricks made.
1: Yeah, with some of those newfangled bricks that she'd heard so much about.
0: Ah, oh, bloody love red brick, I don't know. you?
1: Well, Maria, she saw the red brick and she was like, "I want to live within that. That's what I want. Enclosing me. No more of these timber frames." Brick no. all the way. Mm. Mm.
0: Modern, modern.
1: And she decided the best way to push her, you know, sort of insistence that she wanted... Agenda. To push her agenda for a marriage proposal, essentially, was to become pregnant with Thomas's child. Of course. Ah, but instead of making an honest woman of her, Thomas began coming up with excuses not to visit quite so much. And by the time Maria gave birth, it was clear that Thomas was going to deny everything leaving Maria to raise his bastard son with absolutely no support.
0: Oh, that would have shattered her status, Mm -hmm. wouldn't it, as well, in the village.
1: Oh, yeah, because even though the child died soon after birth, the stigma of being an unwed mother was attached to Maria, who was given the label of a fallen woman.
0: (laughs) How Uh, old is she, 17? uh,
1: This this would have happened just before her 18th birthday.
0: (sighs) That's heavy, man. Yeah,
1: well... It's unlikely Maria was caring too much about it as she was already engaged in another super-secret relationship and this time it was with an honest-to-goodness gentleman called Peter Mm. Matthews.
0: Oh, so she'd she'd gone up again in status.
1: Well, I I think her reasoning was, well, even though he was middle-class, this Thomas, he he didn't have the, um, the breeding to do the right thing. I'm sure if I attach myself to a gentleman... A man from nobility, a man who was brought up with a certain sense of duty and honour, that um, they will do the right thing by me.
0: Oh, yeah, because we always know that, that works out.
1: Yeah, well, Peter, he, he was going and starting his courtship while she was pregnant with Thomas's bastard child, so it didn't seem like um, he was expecting her to be a paragon of virtue and innocence. He was like, I- I'm going to take you as you are, Maria. We're oh, all,
0: okay, good for him. You know,
1: we're all good. imperfect in this world, and it's about finding someone that you you, you vibe with, someone whose soul speaks to yours
0: Hmm, Yeah.
1: within a few months of her first son dying, Maria was pregnant again, with Peter's child knowing in her heart that this gentleman would do right by her any hope of the relationship blossoming into a marriage though, quickly soured
0: oh for fudging hell
1: I know, as Peter pulled a Thomas um, as I'm going to start calling it, and started visiting less and less until by the, by the third trimester, he was nowhere to be seen. Maria ah, gave birth to Henry woman. Thomas in eighteen twenty, though he was insistent he wouldn't make an honest woman of her. Peter did to be fair to him because it's more than thomas did uh, he did send five pounds every three months to provide for the upkeep of his bastard child
0: so that's quite a lot, is it i'm guessing
1: it was it was enough that it was it was you know, it would help to, to raise the kid. She, she yeah. wouldn't be relying on um, handouts. Okay. Thanks to Peter. So he was saying, well, you know, I'm not going to actually acknowledge the child. I'm not going to um, provide for you, but I'll make sure he doesn't die. Which is. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Humanity. So Maria was turning 20. She had a young son and no more prospects. And she had to wait another four years before she got another opportunity at Love. Four lonely years, you know, with a toddler, going through the terrible twos. I was going to
0: say, I can top that, but I don't have a toddler.
1: (laughs) But she did get another opportunity at Love, with Corder. But it wasn't Thomas Corder, so she wasn't going back to her old flame, as Thomas Corder had died in 1824 after falling through the ice on a frozen lake while skating.
0: Well, he probably deserved it, to be honest. I,
1: I mean, did he? Because it sounds to me like a terrifying way to die you just having fun, skating around on frozen lake. There's a bit of, you hear a crack, suddenly you're underwater, and as you're trying to swim for the surface, you realise that you're under the yeah, ice and I mean, you can't it find does, the hole.
0: It does sound terrifying, but oh. um, no, there is no but, like, no.
1: And also, you know that you know he, he just stayed there, perfectly preserved, sort of lying right under the ice until it thawed in the springtime, and then his body just... Popped up. Yeah, we can finally fish him out to give him a burial. It's been six months. Yes, so Maria wasn't hooking up with Thomas, is what I'm saying. What she was doing was hooking up with his younger and less dead brother, William Corder. That was quite a common thing, wasn't it? Mm. Well, William was the third of four Corder brothers, and he was without a doubt the black sheep of the Corder family. Okay. He was two years younger than Maria, having been born in 1803, and on first look he seemed an awesome sort of person. He was five foot four, like me,
0: he wore glasses
1: <laughs> like me, and he was reported to be quite bright and I could show you school reports that say something rather similar about me is it you no, because unfortunately, unlike me, he was also prone to lying, cheating, and stealing
0: oh no that 's not you, Joe
1: yeah, at school, he was given the nickname foxy, but it wasn 't because he was uh, Looking good. It was uh, due to his tendency to manipulate situations to his own benefit.
0: Oh, being a bit sly. Oh,
1: yeah, he was a sly young man. And it was clear that his father wouldn't let him anywhere near the family farming business for fear he would ruin it.
0: Oh, OK. And
1: to be fair to his dad, this assumption was based, in fact, as William had, on one of his return trips from school, fraudulently sold most of his father's pigs once when he was a bit <laughs> short of cash. And couldn't afford a new suit for now in the town.
0: So well, he, do you know why? That's entrepreneurial skills.
1: He, he took a guy to a field that was full of pigs and went, here you go, do you want to buy all of these pigs? And you, the guy I, went, oh, yeah, I'll have them. So he took the I money was... off him and just said, come back in a couple of days to pick them up. <laughs> and then he went back off to his college in London and was like, well, I don't, don't know if I can ever come back here, but I've I got mean, money quite, for drinking.
0: I quite like this chap. Like, when I was at school, I mean, I, I didn't sell pigs, but, um, so I'd get my £2 dinner money, whatever it was, mm. on a Monday, and then I'd I'd buy a 10-pack of cigarettes, right, and then I would sell a cigarette for a pound per person, so then the next day, I'd buy another 10, sell them, and by the end of the year, I was rolling in profit. By good.
1: encouraging the youth
0: to smoke. <laughs> mm Wow! Absolutely.
1: Well, to be honest, you're no worse than Big Tobacco, are you? So,
0: no, this is true. I was just the middleman.
1: Yeah, you you didn't make the t- cigarettes. You were just no. inflating the price, pushing, pushing right. them. <laughs> His reputation, though, Williams, was so bad that even a local criminal known as Samuel Beauty Smith.
0: Oh, was he sexy?
1: Well, this is the thing. We've got William Foxy Corder and Samuel Beauty Smith. And it seems the main crime these two committed was pig-stealing, because that's what William had helped him with. The reason Samuel knew William is because they'd got together to do another pig-based theft. But Samuel Beauty-Smith was convinced that William would eventually end up on the wrong end of a hangman's rope. Dodgy. And bear in mind, in the Georgian era, pig-stealing was still a hangable offence.
0: But why is it... Why Beauty? I
1: I couldn't find out why he was... It's got to be, because he
0: was... A sexy chap.
1: I like to think it's probably the opposite. It was a ah, mocking nickname,
0: like Little John. So yeah, really big.
1: Yeah, it
0: was a beauty. What would you be? What if it was? A... If you had a if you could pick, what about what about Tall Joe? Joe the tall. Long Heathcoat. Joe. Long Joe Heathcote. I like ah, it.
1: I'd, yeah, Long Joe Heathcote. and then people yeah. see me. <laughs> it's a joke, but even though, you know, the the local criminals are sure that William's going to come a cropper. In 1825, fate conspired to give William a chance to prove all of these doubters wrong. Mm. Firstly, he started a relationship with Maria, Mm -hmm. and unlike his brother, he was upfront in telling Maria that he definitely planned to marry her, regardless of the views of his family. He moved in with her in the nearby village of Sudbury to live in sin, However, the entire thing about worrying about the views of his family became less of an issue um, later that same year when his father and two remaining brothers all died of TB. Uh,
0: which, so was the business is then? Yeah,
1: it left him the sole heir to of the corner farming business. They didn't, they
0: didn't want him to have anything to do with it?
1: No. I mean, he should have been left as the sole heir and he should have been in a position to do whatever he wanted, but... As William had been known his entire life as being vain, narcissistic and a petty criminal, his dad had sort of thought about what might happen in the unlikely event that everybody died except William. Uh, And he decided that even from beyond the grave, he was going to show that he disapproved of his son, as he made it clear in his will that in the event of the death of all male heirs except William, it would be his wife and widow who managed the farm. Oh, wow. And she could provide William with a small allowance to the value that she
0: saw fit. Again, unusual.
1: Mm. Well, this was the thing. It, it was put in as a stipulation because he was so sure that if he gave William the reins of this thing... He'd lose
0: everything. He'd run it
1: into the ground. Uh, and amazingly, this was not the last time that William would face post-mortem prejudice.
0: <laughs> He's been bullied from beyond yeah. the grave.
1: His dad's like, I, you know, even though I'm dead, I still think I'm better than you.
0: Can you imagine, like, having a child? I mean, obviously you do have two. Mm. But having a child where you just genuinely don't like them.
1: I don't I don't know that he didn't like William. I think it was more a case of, well, I've worked so hard to build this and I just don't trust that he wouldn't immediately wreck it. Mess so it up. So I'd rather yeah. anyone but him took over my legacy. Fine. You, you can like yeah. someone and still not want them to have any responsibility, you know.
0: Mm, yeah, true.
1: And also, I mean, I'm one of four brothers. I don't know what's in my dad's will. It may say, you know, if everybody dies except Joe, don't give him the house. For the love of God, don't give him the house.
0: (laughs) This is a a podcast that's going to be recorded in 100, 200 years' time. How I went mad
1: because I wasn't given the house.
0: (laughs) There was this chap called Joe, and he was left nothing.
1: (laughs) And he was very sad about it. Understandably furious that his mother held the purse strings. William announced to his pregnant girlfriend Maria, in front of her stepmother, Anne, no less, so he, he made sure there were witnesses, that they were going to blow this shitty little village and get hitched in the glamorous and sophisticated town of Ipswich.
0: Oh, They yes. were heading out
1: for the bright lights and big city. Is Ipswich a bit
0: big city?
1: Big? Uh, by East Anglian standards. I mean, there's Ipswich and Norwich, really, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> you, you takes your pick between the two.
0: Yeah. I mean you got towns like Sad is it Sadbury? Sudbury?
1: Too, Sudbury. Where he, where he lived in sin. Yeah. Yeah, but he wants to make an honest woman of her and Sudbury's not the kind of place you make an honest woman of someone. Everyone's yeah. living in sin in Sudbury. Well
0: you go to Colchester. Mm. He had choices.
1: He he did have choices. And he chose none of them because he <laughs> kept putting the elopement off. Um so after making this big announcement that yes, we're going to get married, I'm aware of the fact that you are pregnant with my child now. Second quarter child you've been pregnant with, but first time it's been me, which is a bit weird, but we'll park that. Um, but just not now, Maria. Which you'd think, if your point was to try and make an honest woman of someone, you'd want to marry them before the child was born so, so that it couldn't be labelled a bastard.
0: Yeah, but, absolutely, because that was still... Yeah. It was everything. still a
1: crime. Was it? There was a crime of bastardy, yeah. Uh, bringing a bastard into the world. We'll, we'll get to it, but... He put off the elopement so much that the child was born, and not only did it have time to be born, it also had time to subsequently die. Uh, oh, what!
0: But, That's the second child.
1: Yeah. Despite that, William was like, "No, no, no! I still want to marry you. Just it's just not quite the right time." And Maria started to be more and more insistent because she'd she'd already experienced this twice, and she kind yeah, of felt where this was going. He's fobbing her off. Man. Yeah so she accused him of getting cold feet and they had an argument and then he would make it up to her and say no of course we're going to get married I just need to sort out a little bit of these affairs in this farm that I don't really run make sure that I'm getting a big enough alliance and then we can go a few different excuses you know I need to set up where we're going to live I need to just put the feelers out for a a business opportunity there make sure that we're not just going to be destitute as soon as we get to Ipswich I need to have connections Um, until finally on Friday May 18th 1827 Fate forced William's hand. He arrived at Maria's cottage and, again in front of her stepmother, Anne, announced that they would have to leave that very night as he had heard that a constable was coming with a warrant to arrest Maria for the crime of bastardry. As I said, having bastard children. So, as far as I can tell, the origin of it was that the state didn't want people having children out of wedlock willy-nilly because, generally speaking, those children would then have to be raised by the state by the parish yeah yeah so it
0: was normally the church wasn't it of like a parish
1: so essentially it fell under sort of like um fraud because you were you were having a child without the means to pay for the child and expecting other people to so i mean maria nothing much
0: has changed has it really don't be poor
1: it, it does seem a bit weird in this case because maria only actually had one surviving child and that child was being supported by its natural father
0: Right. Um, yes. Yeah.
1: But you know, she she was worried as well. And if if this meant that William was finally going to elope with her, she's like, oh, fine. What what do we need to do? You know, how we, how do we get out of this?" Um, so, Corder asked Maria to meet him after dark at the red barn on his family farm, and to come dressed as a man mm. to avoid um, you know people figuring out it's her. So, I need you to come to a barn that's on my my family's property under cover of dark, dressed in a disguise, and tell no one that this is what you're doing. And oh, then we're going to elope.
0: Dodgy, man.
1: Uh, it's, it was called the Red Balm because apparently um, as the red? sun came down, <laughs> it would stain the wall red. So it would be, it could be seen for quite a distance and it would look oh, like this that's... giant glowing red balm.
0: Okay, that's a that's a good image you've painted there. So I've got that.
1: At, there's nothing to worry about. Could you just come on your own? as it's getting dark, to this eerie, glowing red structure um, to meet me, and then we'll get you changed into normal clothes and me and you will run off uh, and start our life together without all of these people impolstered judging us and our having children out of wedlocky ways and pig-stealing, you know, amusements. They'll never judge us again. Once he was sure they'd not been followed... Like I say, the plan was she'd change, they would go on to Ipswich and eventually onward to live happily away from mainland England on the Isle of Wight. I mean, it is a nice place. Yeah, he didn't even want to stay on the the British mainland because he was so disgusted with the judgmental people
0: he'd come to. Of that tiny, tiny hamlet. Damn you.
1: That night, the two lovers disappeared from Polstead with Maria's family convinced that their unlucky daughter had finally struck gold with William Corder and had begun a happy marriage. Now, Corder came back to Polstead occasionally uh, to help with the harvest and to tie up a few loose ends. However, he didn't bring Maria. He said that it was in case the constables were lying in wait to arrest her, um, or he said that she was ill. um, And when the family asked why she could not at least write a letter, because she could read and write... He said that she'd hurt her hand or that they'd run out of paper in the Isle of Wight. So shut up. OK, <laughs> stop asking oh, these questions. She's fine. She's, she's happy on the Isle of Wight.
0: Is she fine though, no yeah. Joe? Is she fine?
1: Well, it was hard for um, the Martins to figure that out because eventually Corda stopped coming to the village altogether and instead just wrote the occasional note to Maria's family insisting everything was fine and the two of them were very, very happy but they couldn't visit for, for reasons. There'd oh, been a ferry strike, oh, you see. Happened? Um And, and also, uh, Maria, she's, she's suffering from uh, a condition where she needs to stay in the subtropical climes of the Isle of Wight. If she went back to mainland England, the, the, the wet weather she might kill die. her. Yeah. So we need to think about her health first. This carried on until April 16th, 1828, when for the second time in his life, William was about to be screwed over by someone who had already passed on. Anne Martin, the second wife of Maria's father, was actually yep. only a year older than Maria herself. What? And there have been rumours that she had also, at one time, been a lover of William Corder. Oh, because no. this village is apparently the most Jeremy Kyle-inbred soap opera. Um, someone committed suicide after being on his show.
0: Oh, I, he was—he was so bloody opinionated, though, weren't he? It's just awful.
1: I, yes. I, <laughs> anyway, I don't think it's controversial to say he was—he was a terrible man dealing in the pain and misery of others. Um, but Anne Martin, she was reported to have a, had a good relationship with Maria, in spite of how weird it must have been for the two women. You know, they're like, "Oh, we could be sisters," only actually, I'm your mother, <laughs> your stepmother, but still, I can—I can tell you what to do. So, that's nice, isn't it? Mm. Crazy.
0: Crazy.
1: Well, the relationship between the t- two women was so cordial and good, in fact, that when Maria finally did return to Polstead, she came at once to her stepmother-slash-sister...
0: Slash-friend. ...bedroom. <gasps> Were Sad- they lovers?
1: Well, they wouldn't get a chance to be lovers because, sadly, Maria came in the form of a ghost. <sighs>
0: What? Hold on. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay.
1: Maria came, as a ghost, to her stepmother's bedroom. According to Anne, the ghost of Maria beckoned her to follow and led Anne through the village and out towards the Corder farm. Maria floated into the red barn and pointed at a patch of the earth floor before disappearing. (sighs) The next night, Maria turned up again. She did the same thing. The night after that, Maria turned up. And she did the same thing. And after three nights of interrupted sleep, Anne, she'd had enough. And she insisted to her husband, Thomas, that he needed to go to the Corder farm and ask Mary Corder, William's mother, if she wouldn't mind him having a little route around in the red barn. Just just to put Anne's mind at rest. Mary said, well, it's it's a bit unusual, but yeah, yeah, sure, you can go in the barn. I mean... I had thought it was weird that William had started locking it uh, when he left for Ipswich with Maria, but yeah, yeah, I've got a spare set of keys. Yeah, you know, oh, help yourself, go in.
0: I know, I know where this is going.
1: Thomas was soon busily swinging his pickaxe into the patch of earth the ghost had indicated, and after one and a half feet of digging, Thomas Martin uncovered a sack of pigs <laughs> that he'd been storing for later. No, because. Unfortunately, in that sack, he did find the badly decomposed body of his own daughter, Maria Martin. Oh,
0: fucking hell. Poor lady.
1: The body was brought to the local pub, the suggestively named Cock Inn. Yes. Where it was determined that she'd been killed by gunshot wound or by stabbing or by strangulation. In fact, the inquest suggested nine separate ways that Maria might have been murdered. I mean...
0: Yeah, that's just
1: they, they couldn't, list now, isn't it? It was, it, was, it was one of those nine, if not two or three. It was at least one of those nine.
0: All we know is that this person is dead. Could have been by all of these.
1: Or only one of them or none of them and something else that we haven't even thought of yet because I don't know <laughs> that they'd uh, you know, sampled what was in her stomach because she may have also been poisoned. We just don't know. But definitely she died uh, and it was probably murder. Although we're not even sure of that yet, so just just bear, bear with. This is primitive, you know, forensic science, isn't it? Yeah,
0: for sure.
1: Um, but one thing was for sure. The only suspect in the case was William Corder, who was still insisting that his wife was alive and well and living happily with him, which, weirdly, was at least partially true. What? The local constable sent word to London that Corder needed tracking down, probably in the Isle of Wight, and the job was given to a detective called James Lee who would later achieve some degree of fame being the lead investigator of spring Jack in the 1830s. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. However, unlike the later case, it was actually pretty easy to find Corder, who was tracked down to his home in London within 14 hours.
0: Oh. So he wasn't on the Isle of Wight at all? No,
1: no. He'd never got as far as the Isle of Wight. He got to London, where he had got down to getting busy quite quickly. Because uh, as soon as he'd arrived in London he decided, do you know what, I actually do want a wife and being a very practical sort of person he decided the best way to do that would be to advertise for a wife in the newspapers.
0: I have done the same. Uh,
1: <laughs> he, he, described, he described himself thusly, he said, any lady desirous of meeting with a sociable, tender kind and sympathising companion will find this advertisement worthy of notice. So, I mean
0: to be honest, I'm hooked. Yeah, he, I'd marry him.
1: He <laughs> he described himself in very glowing terms. Uh, amazingly, he received over 100 replies. And from this pile of eligible ladies, he selected Miss Moore, sister of a London jeweller, as his new bride. They were married within three weeks. And it seemed that William was actually finally trying to settle down.
0: People are insane. Mm,
1: well, she was, she was getting on in life. Uh, Read, she was nearing 30.
0: He liked the older woman.
1: Well... He, he just knew that if he if he applied in a news in a high end newspaper, saying that he he wanted to provide companionship for a, for a lady of you know sensitive disposition, and that what he would probably end up getting were a load of people desperately wanting to avoid becoming spinsters, and they would be much easier to manipulate. They wouldn't ask too many questions about why he suddenly appeared in London and doesn't yeah. speak to his family at all, uh, you know. And he, he picked Mrs. Moore. I'm assuming because she was the sister of a London jeweller and he was thinking, mm. I can get in Ka-ching. with that family. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I can work in the jeweller's business and occasionally a diamond will get lost. You know, Oops. In, in Polstead, the best you could steal was a pig. Here, you can steal things, you know, like diamonds and jewels and gold.
0: In Lantern 10.
1: Yeah, the, the streets are paved with gold.
0: Uh, I live here and I can tell you for a fact that it's not true.
1: <laughs> well, he and his new wife... They did settle down. They got themselves a house, I'm assuming funded by the brother, who was just happy to have his sister out of his own home. Uh, And they set up a boarding school for girls. Okay. So a finishing school for upper-class young ladies, I should say. Yeah. Um, And very soon, the new Mrs. Corder was pregnant. So he had his house, he had his business, he had his wife, he had a kid on the way. So... Within just a few months of leaving Polstead he'd really applied himself. I mean, and he'd he'd sorted got his no shit guilt, out. has he? What what for? He's done nothing wrong that we know of mm. yet.
0: He definitely murdered her. Did he? <laughs> he did.
1: Let's see. Yeah, because it was at that point just as he got his life sorted out, just as they got the first few boarders through the door, everything's going rosy uh, that James Lee arrived and ruined everything in order, he was actually quite sneaky was this detective, in order to gain access to the home, he pretended he had a daughter that he might like to enrol in the school uh, like and when it. they invited him in he sort of walked over to William Corder um, and quietly and rather you know, hushed tones and whispers went, I'm, I'm here because of that girl you murdered we can, we can leave, we don't have to make a scene just grab your coat and we'll leave
0: I love that you know, this is, this is like, pre-police like police force, isn't it? Pre-police. Yeah, we're,
1: we're in proto-police force at the moment, yeah. So we've got... Um, I'd, I'd imagine that the, um, what do you call it, Bow Street Runners were going yeah. at this point, but it was still very much, you know... They
0: I were... mean, the Bow Street Runners were basically just a mob well, of they, people.
1: They were the best we had at the time.
0: They were the best mob.
1: They, yeah, they were the slightly more organised mob. Yeah. They didn't lynch as much. Hmm. And sometimes people ended up in front of the judge. A quick search <laughs> of William's room before they left uncovered a bag belonging to Maria. And within that bag were Corder's two pistols. Wow. And they knew they were Corder's two pistols because everyone could identify Corder's pistols because apparently he had a habit when he was round at his friend's houses in Polstead of just firing them off into the fireplace. Just because just he could. You know, just, everyone's just having a drink after dinner and then suddenly he's the whipped out his gun. pistols. He's like, yeah. pow, pow! <laughs> yeah it's a party you, now
0: to get the speech bubbles that come out you know <laughs> like in the old Batman and Robin
1: Kapow. pow pow it's like yeah you've just absolutely ruined my fireplace again yeah yeah. You yeah finance,
0: thanks for that I was going to say did he turn the light switch off with it but this is pre light switch yeah,
1: he, he put the candles out he exploded the candles <laughs> with his his shot
0: Whack, wax went everywhere yeah,
1: it's the only way he turns lights off shoots them I sometimes might it start takes them doing hours that. Um, corder was taken back to Polstead and he was placed under armed guard upstairs at the cock inn until the oh, coroner the confirmed without a shadow of a doubt that she had indeed been murdered.
0: yeah, so I agree
1: they started this inquiry into what had happened to her, and they only came to the conclusion that she 'd been murdered despite there being uh, that she 'd been stabbed, strangled, there was a gunshot wound. how long it took them was the length of time it took to track William Corder down to London and bring him back to Polstead and they were still deliberating on mm, well i mean it may be natural causes
0: <laughs> i what are the who who are these people i can imagine this
1: is this was the local uh, coroner so local but, yeah but okay. he was doing this on a table in the snug in the of pub. the cock in yeah you know so that's that's where he was examining the body and they placed William, uh, underarm guard, upstairs in the cock-in. So at times he came down to try and um, argue his case and they kept sending him back upstairs. So he came down, saw the body and was like, no, you can't, you can't say that I did this. And they went, no, go back up to your room,
0: William. <laughs> it's all happening in the one pub.
1: Yeah, because apparently they, they didn't have anywhere else to take him. Um, but eventually they thought this is silly because we're not having the trial in the cock-in as well. The body's laying on one table, there's a judge setting up at a second table and they've got William upstairs in a makeshift prison. So they moved him to a prison at Bury St Edmund to await his trial.
0: Very nice place.
1: Mm. Now, the melodrama of the entire affair drew the attention of the newspapers and even before his trial, William Corder was being described in print as a murderer. Songs were written about his guilt, plays were being performed on Drury Lane that clearly portrayed him as the killer of Maria Martin.
0: Jesus, this is all happening really quickly. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> this was the advent of this sort of communication age and this was a massive scandal and a massive you know, story and everyone just went all in with absolutely no reservation. There was no innocent until proven guilty at this point. It was, this guy did this thing and soon he will hang for it.
0: I can imagine it's it's one of those things, like, obviously news is travelling, so it gets more and more elaborate Mm. as you pass it on to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. Even without
1: elaboration, the idea that within the eight months that she'd been missing, that she'd been dead, he'd managed to go and start an entirely new life in London and was fully set up as a respectable gentleman running a school, all the while knowing that, you know, his previous girlfriend was buried in his own barn back in his hometown
0: oh, if you're going to do it, do it somewhere like I don't well, know, not your own barn
1: well if you're going to do it, dig deeper than one and a half foot
0: this was sloppy the, Joe the barn was it's being sloppy. used
1: you know, to store grain, so the previous harvest, there'd been workmen coming in and out you know, storing stuff in there and he'd, he'd just been there hoping to God that none of them scuffed the foot a bit too hard because then yeah. they'd end up with a plumbing arm sticking out of the ground.
0: Mm, no one needs that.
1: The story captured the imagination of the British public to the point that the hotels in Bury St Edmund were fully booked a month before the trial began. What? And proceedings had to be delayed by over an hour and a half because the judge couldn't physically get through the crowds to the courthouse.
0: That's insane.
1: Well, apparently this was it was kind of the judge's fault as well because he he stated that no one should be allowed in the building until he was in, and he was settled and ready, and then people ah, could be allowed okay. in. So all these people who were fighting to get the best seats in the house, because they started charging naturally. Of course, you had they to did. pay to get in. Um, the judge couldn't get to the front of the queue. <laughs> I, I guess people thought it was queue jumping. Um,
0: <laughs> Excuse me, sir.
1: Yeah. I want the best seat. I, I assure you, my good man, I shall have the best seat. <laughs> and then just points to his wig, which I'm assuming he's already wearing. And like, oh, oh yeah, you think that dress? The old dressing as the judge trick's going to let you do cutseys? No way. This is Britain. You will get to the back of the queue, sir.
0: Yeah, although there's not been much of that happening at the moment with the petrol thing. Obviously, people fighting in forecourts. Mental.
1: Well, uh, I mean, I, I it passed me by. At the, I the morning you were poorly, it's, weren't you? No, the morning it started, I pulled into a petrol station with no queue. I put twenty pounds of fuel in my car and then by the time I needed to fill up again, everyone had gone mental for a few days and then stopped being ah, mental and crazy. I just filled up my car again. And I work you know, I work as a community nurse, so I, I use my car a lot. So I just I just didn't understand why people felt the need to queue around the block.
0: Because people are mental, Joe, that is why.
1: Oh, yeah, well, this story proves it. I mean, the idea that you book into a hotel a month before a trial. And this is the Georgian era, so this isn't going to be a long trial. This is a day. Uh. You're paying to stay in a hotel for an entire month where well, you can't be working because you're in this hotel just for one day's entertainment at a trial. I
0: assume it's the uh, the rich that are coming to see this oh, yeah. vagabond.
1: Well, I always make the joke that the Victorians were morbid, but in terms of sheer bloodlust, the Georgians have the Victorians beat every single time. Mm. Now, the case against William was pretty clear-cut. He was the last person seen with Maria while she was alive. She'd been found buried in a barn that he owned, uh, and he'd taken to locking it after the night Maria was last seen, something he'd never done before. A local boy had seen William sneaking to the barn later the same night with a pickaxe and shovel, which is a bit incriminating. And she'd also been found with one of Corder's handkerchiefs wrapped around her neck. And that's notwithstanding the fact that, you know, um, he had one of her bags in his possession as well as a few other keepsakes. Guilty. Um, They'd been seen arguing uh, around the burial of their child in the days prior because William had just buried the child. Not a grave, hadn't gone through any of the normal channels, hadn't gone to a church to ask the church to...
0: just literally buried him
1: somewhere on the farm. Like he'd, he'd just gone, dug a hole, chucked the baby in it, buried it, and went, Right, well, there you go. What more do you need?
0: Ah, oh, the thing is, maybe he was grieving. Maybe. I think People deal with grief in different ways.
1: I think it was more, it was an inconvenience, and it was like,
0: What is the quickest, <laughs> oh, is the quickest is way I
1: can get rid of this dead child? I know, I'll chuck it in the ditch. There we go. <laughs> Poor kid. Aye, very poor kid, as it turned out. Mm. Um, and also, there was the little matter of the fact that he had been pretending to have been living with a, an alive Maria for the better part of a year after her death. Yeah. So that's that's quite incriminating as well. Corder pled not guilty, which was optimistic of him, uh, as the guilty verdict seemed to be inevitable especially she was charged with nine separate indictments to cover all the possible ways she might have um, been <laughs> murdered.
0: So you may have murdered her like this, guilty. You may have murdered her like that, guilty.
1: Well, I think that the idea was if they said, we, you know, um, we're charging you with murdering this woman by stabbing her and they were then able to prove, well, actually the stab wound was made by her dad's pickaxe when he was digging up the body. They didn't want him to get away with the technicality. Um, so they just went, w- we're going to charge you for every single way she may have been murdered and you have to prove that you didn't do any of them uh, to get away with it. His defence, though, was that Maria had committed the most comprehensive of suicides in recorded history by killing herself in nine separate ways. <laughs> what the <laughs> and, fuck? And that his only crime was trying to cover up her shame. So what? What he was basically what he he came up with the story that they were having another argument because they'd gone to the red barn um, and he'd had to postpone the elopement again. Um, and would you believe that a couple of days earlier he'd given Maria his guns for safekeeping, didn't give a reason why. So that's why they were in Maria's bag. And he turned away due to just the emotion of the situation. He needed to turn and stare into the middle distance with a clenched fist. Right. Because she just didn't understand how hard it was for him to have to postpone the elopement. <laughs> and he heard a gunshot. Uh... And he, he turned, but she was already falling to the floor, senseless, the gun hanging limply from one hand. So he, he didn't know what to do. He knew that, you know, committing suicide was, uh, was a sin. You know, it, it meant that she would be going... She was hellbound if she committed suicide, so in order to protect her family and her honour, he quickly ran off, got a shovel and pickaxe, he dug a small grave, he put her in it, he took the gun, put it back in her bag, and took it with him, and then he ran away. And as he was grieving, as many people do when they're grieving the loss of someone, especially in such an unexpected and horrific way, his grieving process was to uh, quickly construct an entirely different life.
0: I, I mean, it's plausible.
1: Yeah, well... William thought it was. He was very confident in his defence. And to be fair to the jury, they at least pretended to consider what he'd said.
0: Pretended?
1: Um, taking just over an hour to return a verdict of guilty.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Shortly after this, Corder was sentenced to be hung by the neck until dead and dissected.
0: Why the dissection?
1: Um, it, was, it was considered uh, another way of humiliating criminals, another way of putting people off you know, committing crimes that carried the death penalty because you I would then it's be still denied. A very
0: religious age, aren't yeah. me?
1: You're not only being killed; you're being denied a traditional Christian burial. So it's you know, it's like we're not just taking this life away from you. We're, we're taking potentially the next one. yeah, ruining the afterlife for you as well. Yeah, it was it was something I, I did it in a story. It only stopped being a thing in like uh, 1832, I think. the The anatomy law came into practice so he was he Marcus. was a few years too early. he was four years too early to to be spared that Jesus he met with his wife a few times before his execution day, and apparently all the way through this, Mary corder was as as refined and as stoic and as she she kept her dignity as much as anyone can do when they find out that the man they married it's uh, gonna be was a murderer a um especially in such a you know a melodramatic sort of um uh, storyline so she she just met with him encouraged him to um, take heart and to remember his bible and you know to to pray for forgiveness and he uh, finally took it to heart and confessed just an hour before he was hanged and you so, think I'm getting to the end of the story but there's loads more.
0: What? I want to know if he actually did it though.
1: Oh he did it. He, oh, okay. he, he finally confessed an hour before.
0: Oh I see I he, was right then.
1: He shot her in a fit of passion, and then buried the body. We don't know why there was a handkerchief around her neck. I mean, it may have been because he felt guilty. (laughs) I love that's where your mind goes. Um, (laughs) And the the best guess for why there was a a puncture wound, a stab wound, was uh, just Thomas Martin, when he was digging it up, just swinging his pick a bit too hard uh, and causing that puncture wound, because they had no way of telling whether it was pre- or post-mortem, really. Uh, He died, William Corder on August 10th, 1828 at noon in front of over 7,000 people what? in Bury St Edmunds, So many people wanted to see that they had to knock a hole in the wall of the prison in order to stop a crush in the crowd. So they literally had to remodel the prison in order to facilitate this execution. Such what was the, the clamour to, to see it happen. Uh, the hangman crazy had to pull on his legs to end his struggles before oh, he was cut down.
0: That's common, isn't it, as well? Mm. Uh,
1: the hangman, John Foxton, apparently, after cutting him down, then claimed his trousers and stockings as part of his payment.
0: Fine. Mm. Fine linen. Mm. Yeah.
1: So now looking like a dead Winnie the Pooh, um, you know, <laughs> William's body was taken back to the courtroom, where it was sliced open along the abdomen to expose the muscles, before over 5,000 people filed past to view the body. Jesus. So (laughs) there would have been people who watched the man get executed and then waited in line again uh, to file past his dead body just to have another look. In fact, you know there was somebody who paid to spend a month in Bruce and Edmonds waiting for the trial. Then was in that queue heckling the judge trying to get into the courtroom and paid an exorbitant fee to sit in the courtroom to hear the guilty verdict. Then was the reason they had to knock a freaking hole in the wall of the prison in order to watch the execution, and then waited in a queue again. There's got to have been more than one of those weird, weird people. That's,
0: yeah, I mean, I have no words for that. That's just insane.
1: But this was in the courtroom as well. They laid him out in the courtroom so people could file past. Uh, though, to be fair to them, there was a, sick t- uh, a strict 6pm curfew as they did have standards.
0: <laughs> we will do this... all of the above, but we will absolutely not work past 6pm.
1: <laughs> We're not going to turn this thing into a circus now. Oh, no. No. Uh, <laughs> Unless we can charge <clears throat> <tell us> double. <laughs> William then continued his posthumous journey. He was taken away to Cambridge University, where the students enjoyed a day of running electrical current through his body to make it jerk about... Which is nice... Because this was we, we were the the advent of the electrical age, um, and they were having a great time making well, they can his make muscles. Make him look alive. Can't yeah, you? it's like a little marionette. They had him jerking around the place. I'm guessing they'd stitched his um, gaping abdomen wound up so that they didn't have bits oozing out. But they had a great laugh with him, moving him about. Afterwards, uh, he was given over to be dissected, and slowly over the time, the students cut down through the layers and examined them all and lots of it ended up, you know, just being thrown out in the waste. However, one of the doctors doing the dissecting, uh, Dr Creed, he had a fun idea. Mm. And when they were getting started, he cut a rather large section of skin uh, from William's back and he tanned it like leather and then he used it to bind a book about the trial.
0: What? That's insane. So
1: there's there's a book... Um, Does it still exist? It still exists. Uh, you can see the book at the Moyes House Museum in Bury St Edmunds.
0: I want to see the book.
1: Yeah, it sits alongside his scalp because they kept his scalp. They scalped the body and they, they kept that and that's been mummified and that lies next to the book. And you can also see the two pistols that he owned. Wow. So that's, that's a fun little exhibit in a local, local museum, isn't it? Local
0: museums are the best, man.
1: Once they got all the way through all of the meaty bits i believe his heart was made into a wet exhibit as well so they cut his heart out a
0: what exhibit
1: um well a wet exhibit so if you're trying to store something that you know doesn't take well to being in the atmosphere you'd put it in like formaldehyde mixture to preserve it so his heart was kept um and what was the other things that they did so they kept they kept the heart and oh yes they um did some what's it called phrenology, where you examine the lumps in the head? To, oh yeah, when they thought that, it
0: was something to do with your mental illness that, or your mental that's pseudoscience.
1: State. Someone had a go at that, and would you believe they found that he was um, a wrongen, essentially?
0: Oh, of course they did. Yeah. After they after they knew exactly what he did.
1: Yeah, it turned out that the 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 examination of the lumps on his head completely correlated to the kind of person he he was, which is amazing. That you know. They were able to, with all the benefit of hindsight, come to such a a remarkably accurate conclusion with this pseudoscience. But they then cleaned up his skeleton um, and made it into uh, just a science prop. So it was being used uh, to demonstrate how, you know, the skeleton goes together. Like in a classroom? Yeah, to med students. uh, Until 2004. What?! Yes, um, and the only reason it stopped being on display in 2004 uh, was because a descendant, someone who found out that they were related via, um, I assume via the child Mary had, to William, they petitioned to have it taken down and cremated, optimistically describing their ancestor as having been portrayed as a murderer.
0: Uh...
1: So, not, not that he was clearly a, a murderer, but he, w- he was portrayed as a murderer. By I mean, people hindsight's pointing a beautiful the thing. Of what he'd done, yeah. How dare they point out the exact things he'd actually done?
0: The thing is, t- there's so much time that's passed between then mm. and now. Like how like there's no there's no living no no people well, to speak to.
1: I mean, even even if you take it, it would be the world's weirdest coincidence if he had not been the killer. You know. It, it was Can you so...
0: imagine if it was all lies?
1: Well, he confessed as well. And... Yeah, but
0: people confess under strange circumstances, don't they?
1: Yeah, but, I mean, he wasn't under strange circumstances. He was being kept in the, uh, you know, the guest bedroom at the Cock Inn. He was probably being yeah, given beer. Yeah, but
0: if he, if he thought it was going to end quicker by just saying, yeah, I did it.
1: Well, it was, it was hanging, wasn't it? It was, oh, it was hanging yeah, by a short drop. It was, it was what it was. Yeah. While the, uh, the skeleton had been cremated in 2004, it did not include the skull as this had been taken by the grandfather of Major G Kilner of Ixworth Love it I don't know what the grandfather's name was but he he definitely, you know, his son begat Major G Kilner of Ixworth Now the young Major Kilner found the skull in his grandfather's attic and decided as a prank that he bury it near an archaeological dig in the Berry Abbey Gardens as a bit of a prank, you know a bit of fun. Apparently, it really did shit up the archaeologists who were working there <laughs> to find this, this well-preserved human skull. Um, from then, it found various homes, this skull. Um, but wherever it appeared, apparently poltergeist activity was reported by the terrified owners, who would then quickly sell the skull on to another morbid collector. So it got a bit of a reputation, William, um, William's skull, as being this omen of... of um, Death Bad luck, and, and yeah, you know, sh- if you had this skull in your house, shit was going to start flying around the room. Yeah. You would not be sleeping. Love it. Eventually, a Mr. Hopkins got his hands on the skull. And Anthony Hopkins. Hi- Mr. Anthony Hopkins. No, a-, a different Mr. Hopkins. Although, oh, okay, I
0: thought, I thought, I thought I'd cracked it. Then right.
1: that being said, it just said Mr. Hopkins, so I can't one hundred percent rule out that it was Anthony
0: Hopkins.
1: <laughs> Uh, Mr Hopkins, possibly Anthony, he started to experience these, you know, these psychic phenomena and this uh, poltergeist activity. And he did the only sensible thing, bribing a grave digger to give the skull a Christian burial in an unmarked grave. So if you're keeping score, William Corder ended up as a pile of ash in a grave, but also as a mummified um, scalp on a table, but also as a book. But also as a skull, buried in an unmarked grave, he's and also done... his heart is probably still knocking around somewhere in a formaldehyde jar.
0: He's done <clears throat> very well, considering.
1: He's he's got about a bit, considering he died. Yeah, yeah. As we don't know where many of the bits of him are now, but they're still out there.
0: Probably as someone's like I don't know attic.
1: <laughs> oh, the heart just still every now and yeah. then just faintly beating.
0: And, <laughs> god dum, dum. Dum, dum. I actually hate the sound of heartbeats it freaks me out
1: uh, is it because everyone brings you a step closer to your own inevitable demise
0: well it wasn't that it's just I think it's the like if it just if it stops and oh, that's panic. it
1: well yeah that's, that's technically true unless you're on heart bypass
0: well I'm not okay so well,
1: maybe you need to buy one of those machines and just have it near you just and then if case. your heart ever does stop you can just plug yourself in and be like ooh. <laughs> that was close ah but weirdly it wasn't just william who ended up being taken apart piece by piece because maria and the red barn fared a little better both maria's gravestone and the barn were slowly whittled away over the next few years by souvenir hunters who would take um sections of wood from the barn and make them into snuff boxes and they chip little bits off the stone of Maria's grave to the point where eventually the grave just stopped existing, and they had to put a new one up. Awesome. Um, yeah, and the Red Barn. Eventually, the re- the remains of the Red Barn burnt down in a fire, so it doesn't exist anymore. And the the people of Polstead and um, you know William's mother. I think she was happy to to just not rebuild it. You don't you don't really want that as your legacy. You don't want
0: a reminder to you, yeah. or at least not on the same site. Yeah. And you'd make it, I don't know, yellow or yeah,
1: something. just put it two fields over. What? No, this isn't the red barn, this is the green barn. It's, it's <laughs> all eco-friendly. The, ma- the
0: magenta barn. <laughs> the maroon barn. We
1: never had a red barn. I don't know what you're talking about. Leave.
0: <laughs> we do not talk about that.
1: But the story, it was basically the prototype of the innocent damsel who... Was corrupted and killed by um, a posh upper class villain. So the entire idea of you know the the upper class bounder preying on the young innocent um, lower class woman. Yeah. That entire trope, it was birthed by this story essentially because from this point on it was a staple of the playhouses of Drury Lane and in London to do a story about you know a murder most foul committed against an innocent young lady by a You know, a nefarious, rich gentleman. The Lord of the Manor.
0: Scandal.
1: And we still do, you know, I mean... We do love it. It's it's a story that still gets told to this day.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%.
1: And it definitely made its way from the theatre to the big screen because a film called Maria Martin, or The Murder in the Red Barn, was made in 1936, starring Mm. Sophie Stewart as Maria and the amazingly named Todd Slaughter. As William, and you can watch it in its entirety, its entire one hour and six minutes length. It's a talkie as well. Um, it's on YouTube because some students um, remastered it and um, sort of fixed it up as a film project.
0: That is amazing. Please send me the link at some point in I your will.
1: life. Um, if you just search for Maria Martin or Murder in the Red Barn as the title, it comes up, and it is so awful, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's it's is it one really of bad? Things. It's it's like Amdram, but oh. with with a slightly higher budget than Amdram. And they weirdly it, they tried to ship on some comedy in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's British. It's a British talkie. There's Ooh. some some badly placed comedy. Some of the delivery is just glorious. It is William Shatner esque in its delivery and I, I I loved it. I couldn't it was like a car crash. I couldn't stop watching it.
0: I am definitely going to watch that.
1: Um, And that was one of the sources I used for this. Um, But the others, I didn't actually have a book for this one, but pretty much every East Anglican newspaper has done um, a story on this, has done a sort of retrospective on this over the years. So I I used quite a lot of those. And also there was a great sort of um, rundown of the case on NorfolkTalesMyths.com.
0: Love it. Which ironically it's not in out. norfolk
1: no but they they just jumped on this story as well and the way that was written was very engaging so I, I quite enjoyed that one and they had a few facts that didn't seem to appear anywhere else so either they were very good at researching and went to a lot of primary sources or they just added some lies that sounded good and i've just uh, kind of taken them as read and presented those lies to you as fact
0: fine this i mean fine. i'm accepting them as fact
1: but that is the story of the most infamous murders, well, most infamous murder in the 1800s, right up until Jack the Ripper.
0: Oh, do you know what? Jack, Jack the Ripper, Ripper really stole sh- his thunder, yeah, William Corders. Overshadows. And I can't believe that his skull, mm. or, sorry, his his skeleton was being used as a bloody medical prop until 2004.
1: It was quite a common thing, because they needed these these things, and... You know, especially back in the 1800s, how were you going to make one?
0: Mm, true. You don't have uh, plastic resin.
1: No, no. So it was, what's, what's the most efficient way? Well, we've got all these people that were uh, executing and technically the body is then given over to dissection so we can do what we want with it. Why not, you know, use, use the bits for what we can use them for? I mean, I don't think it was generally um, used as bookbinding materials. That was a bit of a special case for William. But, yeah, yeah, the skulls and the the skeletons being used was. was
0: but that's quite insane! Regular. How someone like bits of somebody's body is just still lurking around in everyday objects. Hi there,
1: it's Emma, chief organizer at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you
0: like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify, and iTunes. How fancy! You can also join us on Instagram at consistently eccentric podcast where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.